Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald, and today we're convening a roundtable discussion about the use of data in polls in the 2016 presidential election. The most recent presidential election took place during the height of the wave of social media, big data, and analytics. With all the information at our fingertips and a host of 21st century means of analyzing it, many people felt confident in their prognostications about election outcomes. But it wasn't too long into Election Day evening that many people started wondering how wrong they'd been and why. But I think there's also a question as to whether the accuracy of the polls is in question or whether that's another way that we in the media are chasing after easy headlines and big questions that may not have an easy answer. So today we're convening a roundtable discussion of folks from Georgia College who play a part in the media, polling, and in our efforts to read the polls. I'm joined in the studio by Eric Braun, a data scientist at the Georgia College Office of Institutional Research and Effectiveness. We we'll also have Costas Spiro, Georgia College Interim Provost and one of the authors of Georgia College's State of the State poll, and James Schiffman, Assistant Professor in the Department of Mass Communication. Gentlemen, welcome to Georgia College Connections. Good to be here. Nice to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining me on this roundtable discussion. In the first part of our conversation today, I thought we'd address the question of, were the polls wrong? Or were there other factors at play? And I think one of the first questions is, were the polls wrong? Or was this election simply too close to call? The numbers assessment would suggest that the polls were not wrong, that the election was too close to call. Uh, the polls were within one margin of error of either candidate uh, winning, uh, which suggests that, indeed, the polls were not a guide as to the ultimate winner of the election. Well, in one sense, you could say, as reported in the news media, the polls certainly were wrong. Because what the uh, news media would tend to do would be to take averages of polls. And looking at broad averages of polls, it seemed to indicate that Secretary Clinton would uh, had more support and would ultimately win the election. Now, it's certainly true that if you dig deeper into the polls and you look at the margin of error, that certainly the result was within the margin of error. And I'd like to point out that Nate Silver, who lots of people follow on 538, wrote a column shortly before the election where he said that one thing that could ha actually happen is that there would be a polling error and if there is a, a large polling error, it would probably cut across the entire set of polls, in which case uh, Trump can end up the winner, which is exactly what happened. My thinking, in terms of following up with my colleagues here, is that I think this was a very unique election. And the reason why it was a very unique election, because 
Certainly, President-elect was successful in um, identifying himself within uh, a very traditional candidates within the Republican Party, which certainly surprised a large group of Americans. At the same time, if you look at the Democratic side, too, you had Bernie Sanders, who certainly would come from not the, the mainstream part of the party itself to emerge as being a very competitive within the the Democratic nomination. So it was really, it's interesting, last night I read this piece that focused on, that Bernie Sanders said somewhere in the media that, you know, if Donald Trump is in support of or interested in battling corporations, then I'm with him. So basically, but it's interesting that both of them did identify the issue of corporations or a battle against corporations. Both agreed on that, even though they both come from a very different background. So in that sense, the election was very unique. It was very different. Uh, we didn't have the traditional, though Though Clinton obviously comes from a more traditional sense. Uh, she does have a long history in, in office that extends over 25 or so, 30 years in various offices and in public life. It was a unique election, and and I think it made it that much more difficult for polls to be able to accurately predict. And um, my question about that, it was unique in that this is an election in which the Electoral College uh, went in one direction and the popular vote went in another. It's debatable as to how many times this has happened in history, either Mm -hmm. five or six times. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, when we have one of these... And I'm just going to throw a term out there, a split election results like this. What have we seen in the past of the accuracy of our prognostications beforehand and maybe some of the soul searching that we've seen afterwards? Uh, well, I mean, the last time we had that was in 2000, the 2000 election. Florida certainly played a key role. I would say when we look at the Electoral College, certainly you go back to Constitution, but in many cases, a lot of the uh, elements of the Constitution, we, there's a lot of debate. I mean, look at the Second Amendment, for example, the uh, First Amendment. Those issues tend to come up more often as we debate the Second Amendment or free speech, how far you go, or freedom of religion, et cetera, et cetera. So this issue of the Electoral College doesn't come that often to the forefront. Of course, when it does come up, there's an enormous amount of concern, and we start to talk about the potential adjustments that need to be made. But I suspect we can go in the future for multiple years without having that come up again. It does take place. It certainly adds a complexity to the whole situation, as well as potential movements that emerge. I mean, there's a movement to ask the Electoral College to act very differently in terms of how the election unfolded. But just part of the uniqueness and the excitement that's and the complexity of our system, which has a lot of strengths. Well, you know, I think it's interesting to point out that uh, this is the second time this has happened in the last 16 years where the, the winner of the popular vote is not the winner of the electoral vote. And I believe the last time that happened was in the 19th century. So for the longest time, this was just simply not an issue for anybody because the result of the election mirrored the popular vote. It's possible that we're, we've entered this period of very great polarization where the way the electoral college works is just simply not going to work the same way that the popular vote works. We've all seen those maps of the, the, the blue and the red maps where they're the West Coast and the East Coast is all blue and the center of the country is all red. And if that continues and the uh, result of future elections continues to, to go in this direction, I think you can bet there'll be a movement to dump the Electoral College and just uh, rely on the popular vote. 
Well, I know that we could have a whole nother conversation or show about that topic. But right now, we're going to take a short break. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we're talking about the use of data in polling in the 2016 presidential election. We're hosting a roundtable discussion, and joining me in the studio are Eric Braun, a data scientist from the Georgia College Office of Institutional Research and Effectiveness. Costa Spiro, Georgia College Interim Provost and one of the authors of the Georgia College State of the State Poll, and James Schiffman, Assistant Professor in the Department of Mass Communication. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. We're taking a look at data in polling and how they played out in the 2016 presidential election. We're hosting a roundtable discussion, and I'm joined in the studio today by Costa Spiro, Georgia College Interim Provost and one of the authors of the Georgia College State of the State Poll, James Schiffman, Assistant Professor in the Department of Mass Communication, and Eric Braun, a data scientist at the Georgia College Office of Institutional Research and Effectiveness. Now, in that last segment, we were asking the question of, did the polls actually get it wrong? And in this segment, I thought that we might talk about some of the factors that impact our polling practices at this time. And if there are any changes that are taking place and you know, might lend themselves to our understanding of what we saw in the run-up to in the aftermath of the 2016 presidential election. Now, I don't think that anyone can dispute the fact that our use of technology is changing. Obviously, we're looking at things in very different lights than we have in different generations, and that must be affecting the way that we're able to measure the will of the people and there are uncertainty about uh, what the people are thinking on any given issue. Now, Eric, wanted to ask you about the ways that our polling practices uh, played out in the 2016 election. Well, let's first put into perspective the accuracy of the polls versus our last presidential election. Now, according to 538's estimates of the average of average of polls, the average of polls that is expected that the polls will miss the popular vote by about two percentage points this year. Compared to 2012, that was only 2.7%. So it's very likely that in terms of assessing the outcome of the popular vote, that polls will actually be more accurate in 2016 than they were in 2012. Of course, the direction of the error this time 
was not in favor of the front runner, which allowed Donald Trump to become the president-elect. Now, when we're considering whether that means that the polls are not accurate, depends on whether we feel that it is more important to guess the winner or to guess the ultimate outcome of the popular vote. And the media is, of course, interested in the front runner and less interested in the just the uncertainty that plus or minus the margin of error that the polling suggests. Does that ring true for everyone, this idea about calling outcomes as opposed to the accuracy of polls or maybe even this other idea, which I think about of measuring uncertainty? Well, I can't really speak to the mechanics of polls, but I can speak to the way the news media uses polls and presents polls. And certainly they are, as everyone knows, front and center in basically all coverage of a presidential campaign. And that in itself is a problem because the news media generally doesn't do a very good job of explaining polls and explaining margin of error. And one idea that we could throw out there is not going to happen, but one idea we could throw out there is that if a poll is within the margin of error, maybe it shouldn't be used at all. And people should say, look, this doesn't tell us anything. And one other aspect, polls are intimately involved with campaigns. And in this one in particular, because Trump, in the early going, you'll remember that he used his status in the polls basically as a campaign tool and as an issue and often the only issue. Hey, look at me. I'm winning because I'm winning. I'm a winner. And isn't that wonderful? So polls are really involved on many, many levels with our coverage and understanding of presidential campaigns. Mm. Yeah, and I think to further add to this, this observations is the fact that polls themselves have evolved. I think there's been a corporatization of polls. We have more polls today than we've ever had in the past. 20, 30, 40 years ago, there are very few entities that would engage in this type of work. Now we have polls that are conducted by m multiple outlets employed in a lot of different ways. A lot of times when we hear a poll coming from this source, that source, the other source, at least I do tend to think there may be an inherent interest in terms of what the findings are. So in my mind, I may be adjusting that a little bit, downward or upward, depending upon how those numbers come up. And I think related to what you know Jim just talked about, I think is to a great extent is that polls have do play a role in being part of an advertising campaign in, in terms of how media and media outlets use them for us to view or the uh, Ford commercial or some sort of other sales pits that's taking place within that particular organization. So there's many, many more polls than ever before. Corporate entities are involved in polls. Universities are involved in polls. There's internet-based polls. And at the same time, just to back up a bit in that sense, to go back with the earlier observation, is that our way to access the individual's perspective or opinion has gotten much more complex. So for example, you, we have now cell phones, that's become a bit more difficult uh, in terms of, uh, you know, landlines are not part of it. So, so it's, a, it's a much more complex phenomenon. It's gotten even more complex in the last few years. That, that's a, a very important point, I think, to emphasize is that polls are, are often used for various partisan purposes. They even become parts of campaigns. I'll, I'll uh, commission a poll that will show me doing very well, and then I'll say, hey, I'm doing very well. Look at this poll. So, and, and if I'm not doing very well, 
why would you trust the poll? Right, yeah. right. And, Both ways can work. And in the variety of methodologies, each methodology has a different set of biases, whether you're using live polling or automated polling or internet polling. And from a statistical perspective, in terms of an appropriate interpretation of the results, that it's more likely to be accurate when you average these polls. It's sort of called an ensemble method. It's like if you ask one person how many jelly beans are in a jelly bean jar, they're less likely to give an accurate prediction than if you ask 20 people how many jelly beans are in that jelly bean jar. Uh, so it's rather irresponsible of the media to present a poll as if an individual poll is an oracle, it's completely accurate prediction, even within that poll's individual margin of error due to sort of the inherent biases in each method. And that's why Real Clear Politics, 538s, uh, average of polls, and also increasingly models in journalism uh, that are presented, 538s, New York Times, Huffington Post, try to overcome this issue. And are there trends in the way people are conducting polls or the way people are analyzing information that are you know, net positives that we've seen our best practices that are developing for our understanding of all of this complex means of gathering the sentiment of the people that you know, we could share about either for the positive or maybe even negative aspects that have come out about our access and use of all this information? I would I'd say... Currently, both things are happening is both a negative and positive in terms of that we have more polls, we have the ensemble methodology I, I reference, we have models, but they require appropriate interpretation in order not to be misleading. So it's incumbent upon the news media in terms of providing information and not just numbers to explain the context of what does an individual poll mean? What does an average of poll means? What does prediction mean? And how should you use that to frame what the status of the election is? And if you don't provide that context, you're likely to mislead. We're out of time in this segment, so we're going to take another short break. But if you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. We've assembled a roundtable to talk about the use of data in polling information in the 2016 presidential elections. I'm joined in the studio today by Eric Braun, a data scientist at the Georgia College Office of Institutional Research and Effectiveness, Costas Spiro, Georgia College Interim Provost, and one of the authors of the Georgia College State of the State poll, and James Schiffman, Assistant Professor in the Department of Mass Communication. We're going to be right back with more Georgia College Connections.
Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. If you're just joining us, we're convening a roundtable discussion about the use of data in polling information in the 2016 presidential election. I'm joined in the studio today by James Schiffman, assistant professor in the Department of Mass Communication, Eric Braun, a data scientist at the Georgia College Office of Institutional Research and Effectiveness, and Costas Spiro, Georgia College's interim provost and one of the authors of the Georgia College State of the State poll. Now, in this final segment of our show today, I thought we'd start off the conversation by asking, what have we learned since November 9th? To be skeptical about polls in general and to be more sophisticated about how we view them and how we report them. But also, I think there are some conclusions that can be drawn from the exit polling information that I've seen anyway. One question was, what do the real results really mean? Was this a wave election of any, any kind? And I think there's one to actually focus on one particular poll. There was an NBC exit poll that was done on the day after the election, the night of, I guess, that showed that something like 49% of the people who responded to the poll wanted to have the Obama agenda or a more liberal agenda. And 46% of the people polled wanted to have a conservative agenda. And so when you couple that with the fact that Secretary Clinton won the popular vote by over a million votes, it looks like, then you can't say in any sense that this is a wave election in the sense that other elections have been. I think back to Lyndon Johnson's landslide for example, in uh, 1964. That was clearly a wave election, clearly a landslide. So this was not an election that was anything close to a mandate for Mr. Trump to do anything. Yeah, I, I would actually say there's a couple things that come to mind, in addition to the ones that Jim referenced. I think the one is that we have an over-reliance on polls. That's certainly the case. And I think that this over-reliance on polls is much more problematic especially in elections that are unconventional. I think that, that, again, I want to go back to the earlier observation. This was not a conventional election. As I indicated earlier, nobody would have thought in the beginning when it all started that Bernie Sanders would place that much pressure on Secretary Clinton, that Donald Trump would emerge as the representative of the Republican Party and eventually become the uh, president-elect of the United States. So when you have such a unconventional election, complicated, like to, to rely then on polls, it's certainly way too out there. The second thing I think it also we're learning here is that voters, and I think this election showed it too, will say one thing to those that poll them and do another thing when they enter into the voting booth. You know, we need to keep in mind that when you look at states like, it was not one state or two states, I mean, you look across the upper Midwest, where you look at uh, Wisconsin and Indiana and Ohio and Pennsylvania, a number of these states that certainly, or, or Florida for that matter, that certainly would, could go either way. You look at the polling even in those areas. I mean, I do remember some polls in Pennsylvania, what they showed and the outcome was certainly very, very different. So, but there is a connection between obviously the, the nature of the election and the candidates and unconventionality of it and obviously this reliance on polls that it's on steroids. We have more polls than ever before. And can the two of them, how far, what's the distance between those two entities? I would actually suggest that it's even more important to have the polls in this sort of situation, especially we see the increasing dichotomy between voters without a college education who live in suburban and even more in rural areas versus 
urban, uh, more educated voters and pundits and other commentators in the news media tend to be from the latter group. And we're extremely skeptical of Trump winning, but he ended up winning, whereas the both the polls and the model suggested that the election was a toss-up. And while I would not consider polls or the models to be oracles, I would suggest that they are important expressions, objective expressions of our uncertainty about the outcome. And as long as we understand them through the appropriate context, that they are merely assessments of uncertainty, that they are a very useful adjunct. It is true that there was more of a swing in Midwestern states that ultimately led to Trump's victory, a much larger swing than polls suggested. However, for example, we look at 538's model, which includes cross-correlations between states and the possibility of swings amongst correlated states, which the Midwestern states are. That's why it gave a significant chance of Trump winning the election in case that happened. Uh, so if we look to these tools, we can get a sense of the possibility of these outcomes. And as we think about our reliance on polls, do you think that this might not be mirroring other social trends and that we are more insulating ourselves within our social networks and not really having more qualitative conversations with those who might not already agree with us and that we are just furthering ourselves into the loop? I guess this boils down to a question of quantitative information versus uh, qualitative information and in that uh, we're wanting to boil things down and not actually listen to the complexity of the reasons that we may go this way or that way in the election booth or in what we're telling to the pollsters? Well, we're certainly in a world where people are operating in their own filter bubbles. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing more and more, in fact, uh, just these days, there are, many, there's, there are many stories and issues about how Facebook will cater to our own desires to be within that filter bubble and just read what we want to read. So I think that uh, one conclusion we can draw of the election and polling and the discussion that we've been having is that we need to do a better job of reaching out and understanding across all kinds of boundaries. Polls are not going to go away. In fact, we'll probably have even more polls in the next election cycle. So we all have to be smarter about how we consume polls. The news media should become smarter about how it reports polls, but I don't think that's going to really happen. Yeah, I, I do agree that we're likely to have more polls, but I think going back to your observation as to whether this quantitative versus qualitative, there's a sense of ease of use from a media perspective of polls. I mean, you could do a poll very quickly and you can just use it as a part of a broadcast very quick. I mean, qualitative assessment takes, it's much longer, much deeper, takes a lot of effort, a lot of commitment long-term, way more expensive than it is. And in, within an environment where new cycles are just moving rapidly and very quickly, and there's a need for uh, extensive fill at times, certainly polls can play that particular role. So you know, polls and quantitative assessment of uh, perspectives of voters in this particular case can fill that void very quickly. And we all love numbers. Everyone wants to have a number. What is it going to be? And you can look at a uh, poll and you can instantly see graphically mm. who's ahead, who's behind. Yeah. As we've been discussing here, that can be extremely misleading. Yeah. And polls go to, to obviously the black and white, and it's all the gray, and we all would like to know clearly this, that, or the other. 
And we're about out of time for our show today, so I just thought I'd ask for uh, final thoughts and reflections uh, going forward from here. In reflecting upon this election, based on what we've seen in the polling, based on what we've seen in the election models, that there is an increasing divergence between urban, educated voters and minorities and more suburban, rural, less educated uh, members of the voting population. And that partisan divide seems like it may increasingly define politics in the United States and is something for us to consider. I have one simple piece of advice. If you're reading a poll or listening to a poll or hearing about a poll on a news program, and if it turns out that the result is within the margin of error, then just completely disregard what you've read or heard. It means nothing. It's meaningless. That's a very good observation, Jim, and I'm with you on that. I also think that the poll, again, has to be contextualized within the um, nature of a specific election and the complexity of a specific election. And, and I think the challenge of these polls that they were positioned within a highly complex election in our country's history. Well, gentlemen, thank you all very much for joining me today on this edition of Georgia College Connections. I appreciate you all very much for dedicating this time to me and our radio audience. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Great to be here. You've been listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. We just convened a roundtable discussion about the use of polling and data in the 2016 presidential election. Joining me in the studio were Eric Braun, a data scientist at the Georgia College Office of Institutional Research and Effectiveness, Costa Spiro, the Georgia College Interim Provost and one of the authors of the Georgia College State of the State Poll, and James Schiffman, Assistant Professor in the Department of Mass Communications. I've been your host, Daniel McDonald. It's been my pleasure spending a portion of this evening with you here on Georgia College Connections, and I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.